You're now listening to Your Real Money Stories podcast. Oh yeah, it was uh, like probably one of the worst times of my life. I wanted to quit so much. I would call my parents crying because I was so upset. Um, I would like have breakdowns on the weekend because I felt like I couldn't properly relax. Like it just was not good. But then I didn't have the opportunity to just just quit. I didn't have I wouldn't be able to have any money coming in. I was the main income earner in my in my household. Hi guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Eve. And I'm Nick. And we are the Money Medics. And we're your hosts of Your Real Money Stories. An original podcast series brought to you in association with Zopa. The podcast where we'll be giving you the unfiltered truth about money through anonymous confessions and unfiltered opinions. As well as providing useful information and resources for each topic we discuss. And we have to say, this isn't financial advice. These are just our views. So hi everyone, uh, so this is another episode of the Your Real Money Stories podcast. Um, I think this is going to be quite an interesting episode, you know, I think salaries is something that is not discussed openly enough because it's quite sensitive and I'm sure at some point in anyone's career, whether it's now or maybe in the future, we've all felt as if we're underpaid, especially when we're not achieving the goals we want to. Um, and of course, when it comes to negotiating salaries, uh, the tips and tricks we do discuss or we do share, every industry is different. So I, I guess take everything with a pinch of salt. And I guess that the main thing to always factor in is I know it's very, very easy to tie your self-worth to your net worth, especially when we all know um, how much you get paid can affect your mood and your output of work. And it's been said by Allen Associates, a recruitment firm, that 50% of workers change their jobs due to pay. So as always, we'll have three sections to this podcast. We'll hear a personal story from anonymous guests. They'll discuss our opinions and they'll just share some useful tips people can use in their own salary negotiations and just um, navigating that taboo that is uh, salary amongst your co-workers. So, of course, we are joined by Jane. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, how's your day today? Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, my day's been really lovely. I went for a walk in the sunshine, and it's nice that um, lockdown has lifted a little bit. So, yeah, having a having a lovely weekend. Awesome. Um, so, I, I guess we, we want to know, like, just tell us the start of your journey. Like, um, I guess we, we can, I guess for everyone listening, we can tell that you're international... Uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah. So I grew up in in Canada um, and came to the United Kingdom initially in 2013 to do a master's degree. Um, and then I ended up having an opportunity to have a visa. My grandfather was from Glasgow, so I have an ancestry visa. And so I was able to stay to work after my master's degree using that visa. Um, so that's what I decided to do after doing an internship, which I was allowed to do while I was on that initial student visa. Um, I moved back to Canada in 2018, um, after like, you know, kind of being a little bit done with the London grind and things like that. But then I've returned to United Kingdom in November, 2020, um, because going back to Canada didn't work out, (laughs) I guess you could say. Um, there's been a bunch of ups and downs kind of along there. So so what did you study at university just out of curiosity? Yeah. So my bachelor's degree, which I did in Canada is a degree in psychology, Um, And then I came over um, from Canada to do a master's in 
um, kind of UX design, human-centered um, design, that sort of thing. I knew it was kind of a well-paid career when I moved over, so that's why I was getting into it and it was something I was interested in. What was your first starting salary when you first graduated? Yeah, so when I, um, when I first graduated, I was working at the startup where I, I had been an intern, so I was an unpaid intern um, for two or three months. And then I became a contractor for that company. Um, I was paid minimum wage, but I can't remember what minimum wage was, but this is 2014. So whatever minimum wage was in 2014. So my, basically my take home was a, a little over a thousand pounds per month. Um, and then at the time my rent was 750 pounds. I was living, you know, in London, rent was very expensive. So I wasn't, I didn't have very much money at that time. And then I really, really quickly started looking for a proper job after that, because I just couldn't afford to live on that low of a low of pay in London. Um, so within like two months, I think I found a, a proper full-time job that wasn't a contract position. And so I was making, um, uh, 25,000 pounds in my first position, and then I ended up switching roles quite quickly because that role just was a, a poor fit. And then my next position, I was making, I believe it was £28,000 after that. And um, I kind of stayed at that level for almost two years because um, that next job didn't really have a very, if you got a raise, it was very minimal. And that's kind of what led to me then looking for my next role where I made, I believe it was £34,000. So it was quite a big jump from twenty-eight to thirty-four. But I had two two extra years of experience at that time. Um, and in UX, when you get a year of experience, your salary jumps quite quickly for the first, I want to say, probably almost 10 years. The first 10 years, your salary jumps quite a lot every year. Was 35000 um a good salary for, for your role at the time? Or do you still feel like you were underpaid? Uh, I, it's, a, it's a complicated one because I think I was a little bit underpaid, but I was working in the charity sector at, at the time. So I was open to... The fact that I was going to be making less and there was also the benefits of I was in a unionized position. I had, um, I believe I had like 32 days paid holiday every year, which I know is quite close to the, it's quite close to what the, the minimum allowed is, but it was really good holiday. Um, it had very good, not health insurance, but like really, really good coverage and flexibility if I was sick, um, really, really good unlimited sick pay um, without going on to like statutory sick pay. So it had a lot of benefits to working in it. So even though my salary was a little bit lower than I would have wanted, it was it, it was well compensated for the other factors and it was a very good job. But it just, I did definitely feel like, you know, I was getting nowhere in London at the time, which is why we moved back to Canada, my partner and I. So in kind of moving back to Canada, what was that process like? So so you left the UK around on 35 grand and then you, was it quite intentional you were looking for employers in, in Canada for your next role? Or is it just, did you feel that going back to Canada, you'd be able to earn more based on your experience? It wasn't necessarily about earning more going back to Canada. It was more about the affordability of things. Um, so my hope was, my hope was that like, even if I wasn't going to earn a lot more that I could afford to buy a house that I could afford to like go on more vacations. I could afford to get pets, um, kind of all that stuff that let's see, I was, I was 27, 28 when we were leaving for the first time. 20, yeah, something around there. So my, my initial thought was we're going to leave and I'm going to do all these like, quote unquote, adulting things that I feel like I can't do in London. And my expectation in Canada was that the salaries were a little bit better. 
Um, but in the end, it turned out they, the roles just didn't exist for my specialization. So the, the salaries were a little bit better for somebody with better visual design skills, but I'm not a visual designer. I tend to go more for the research side of things, which is only just kind of building up as a field in Canada right now. Just as a bit of a background, what is the um, differences between uh, American, not American, sorry, Canadian and English um, salaries? Because like, for example, um, for pharmacists in Canada, I believe they can earn over six figures as soon as you're qualified, as as far as I'm aware, from what I've been told. Whereas in the UK, you start off from quite a low salary and you have to build your way up. So how are things like in, in your field in general? In my field, I think it does pay a little bit better, but you're not we're not talking about like American level salaries. So my field my field with like five years experience, you're probably looking at forty five to fifty thousand pounds per year ish. Um, but then and then in Canada I was thinking like 80 to 90,000 pounds, um, not pounds, sorry. Is that pounds or Canadian dollars? Canadian dollars, yeah. So 80 to 90,000 Canadian dollars, maybe up to 100. But then in the United States, you're looking at like 120, 130,000 dollars a year, if not more, depending on where you're living, of course. Right, let me just translate that to UK, Great British pounds, one second. So, so 80 Canadian dollars to GBS. Oh, GBP, sorry. Uh, that's that's 46 yeah okay so about the same then yeah so not not too far off I don't think Um, but yeah then once you get to like American dollars that's when you start getting really really high salaries and I did notice when I moved over there a lot of people in my field were just moving to California they weren't staying in Canada they were just leaving to go work for American companies because the pay was so much better even with you know Canada has universal health care like the United Kingdom um, and America you have yeah but in America you have to pay for things um, so they were just foregoing that because the pay was just so much better yeah I see I'm really I'm really curious you mentioned something like you know um when you moved back to Canada like you wanted to do things like um you know purchase a house in comparison to the UK are like house prices in Canada are they cheaper are they more expensive or is it like easier to get a mortgage there so this was my misconception. So I moved to Toronto, which now is as expensive as London, if not more expensive. A one bedroom flat goes for like 600,000 Canadian dollars, which is uh, like 350,000 pounds. So, you know, similar to similar to one bedroom flat here in, in London, if you're in like not in zone one or two, but further out. So they're quite expensive in Toronto, Toronto, and Toronto has a huge housing crisis as well. So, but I thought moving, moving to Canada, we can't afford a house, we can't afford these things, and it just didn't end up being the case. So you've left the UK, you started um, this new role in Canada, having built up like five, six years of experience. What was your new salary in, in Canada when you jumped from 35 to what was the new salary now? Yeah, so my my role when I finally did get a role in Canada, it ended up being seventy three thousand dollars Canadian, which worked out to about forty two thousand um, pounds. So it was it was kind of the the initial pay that I was expecting. Um, having gone to Canada, I think I maybe was hoping I would get a little bit more, but I was okay with that amount. The problems really came up that. I was at this company afterwards for two years, didn't receive a single raise the entire time I was there. And even in the United Kingdom, when I got small raises, I at least had a 1% raise every year. And I didn't get any raises while I was at this company in Canada. And then when I was speaking to new grads who became who I became friend, kind of friends with at my workplace, 
um, I was finding out that they had just graduated and had come to the company and were being put on like $82,000 Canadian, which is basically 47,000 pounds. And that's as a new grad. So I had five more years of experience than them. And they were making 10, 10 grand more than me. Wow. Can I also just to reel it back. So when you first moved to that company and you started your new, new role, did they ask about your salary expectations or did they tell you this is the salary that we're going to give you? Did you negotiate it at all? They did ask about my salary expectations. And I, I was fortunate enough that I had had another job offer come in at the same time. Um, so I had basically... I had been looking for work for three months at that time. I had had a couple offers come in that I wasn't happy with. I'd been doing research on salary expectations. Um, so when I had the job offer come in, um, I had another one come in that was a little bit higher for a company that I was less keen to work for. So I just negotiated up for them to match that salary. So I'd had an offer for 73,000 pounds and the company I ended up working for offered me 71, not sorry, not pounds, Canadian dollars. And then the and then the company that I did end up working for offered me $71,000. So I negotiated it up to 73 because that's what I had been offered. And that was what my impression in the end was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to get. You know, um, I'd been looking for work for three months and I, I was just, I was like, I guess this is, this is how much I'm going to get. And then again, speaking to my friends who were new grads, they had, they had negotiated themselves like, like starting offers basically where they, you get like an extra bonus just for signing the contract. I didn't even know that was a thing because I had worked in the United Kingdom the entire time. And this was just like stuff I didn't even know about when I started working at that company and and nobody told me. Wow. That's why it's so important to ensure that you're having conversations about your salary with, with your work leads, even though it can be extremely awkward sometimes, but it's really, really important to have these conversations. So how did this conversation come about? Is it like, yeah, w- what made you decide to ask your colleague about how much they were getting paid? How did that conversation start? Yeah, so I'd been there uh, around a year and a half, a year at this time. Um, and we just kind of had naturally started, you know, somewhat socializing um, outside of work. And thankfully, a couple of the people who I was working with were just willing enough to be open about what their salaries were, um, being new grads, just kind of, it was another woman. So there's that sometimes in tech, like there's this mentality of like, you have to help other women because men are always going to be paid more than you are in tech. Um, so you need to talk to each other about your salaries and, um, she's American. So I don't know, maybe that's part of it is maybe they're just more willing to be open about money. I try to be open about money, but sometimes I find I share my salary with people and then they they get really awkward about, you know, me telling them their salary mm. and they don't, they don't want to share it back, which I'm, I'm fine with. But thankfully she was, she was open and she told me flat out, like, this is, this is what she was on. And this is what she had been offered when she started. Um, I think. I'm trying to remember, I think basically the conversation really started was because we were both starting to look for different roles at different places. And so we both wanted to know, you know, what should, what should I be looking for salary wise once I leave this company? And it was quite shocking to me that she was on so much more than I was. Wow. And how does that make you feel when you found out? Like, did you try and do anything about it? Like, I'll be quite annoyed if I thought, oh, I, yeah. yeah. How does that make I you was, feel? I was super annoyed. And I mean, I was already done with this company at that point. I was already looking for other work and I end up, um, the, there was like an internet system. So I end up looking into like, what do I do if my salary isn't what I would like? Um, and the internet system basically had a less snarky way of saying it doesn't matter. That's what we've decided. You're valued. You can't negotiate otherwise. Um, so when you go into like your annual raise conversations at this company, they just give you the raise. They don't, it's not a negotiation point. It's just, this is what your raise is. Hope you're happy. 
Um, and so I just was, I was even more like, okay, I don't want to work here anymore. Um, unfortunately I am not independently wealthy enough or, and I didn't have enough savings to just be able to quit though. I had to stick it out until I decided, you know, I have another job or in my case, we decided to move back to the United Kingdom. Wow. Wow. And what was the type of work environment? Cause I know sometimes, um, as in like, did they give you any benefits? So even though it was a lower salary, were there any other um, compensations that they offered at all? Or was it just, this is your salary and, and that's it? Yeah, so there was some, um, there was some extra benefits, um, which apparently were good. I didn't, I didn't think that they were that good, especially talking with some of my coworkers. But so Canada does have universal health care, but doesn't have universe, universal pharmacare, doesn't have universal dental, doesn't have, doesn't cover like glasses. Um, so those sort of things I was given health insurance for, um, which some, some of my coworkers said was quite good. I didn't think it was good speaking to a colleague who had diabetes. They said it wasn't very good. So, um, there, there was some extra benefits, but they weren't like, I didn't think they were great. And the office was, was quote unquote cool. We had like, like a restroom and like walking desks and things like that. It was a very modern office. There was Starbucks coffee and there was an actual Starbucks downstairs, but it wasn't, it wasn't comped. You had to pay for that Starbucks. Um, they tried to like label themselves as, as cool, but I, I didn't really take advantage of like the restroom or, or the, like the free gym classes or anything like that. I, I wasn't interested in staying late after work to do these like free things. I just wanted to get paid more. And what was like the working environment like? Because I know sometimes when people are overworked or the working culture is not like what you want it to be, you become even more dissatisfied. How was the work environment in the company? Yeah, so my team, I think the company-wide work environment, it was like big four consultancy, right? So the the culture is you you're paid for 40, you work for 60. My team my team thankfully was pretty like anti that mentality. Um, until a project actually end up taking 60, 60 hours a week. And then, then they get kind of annoyed that if you're not working those extra hours to get the project over the line, um, I refused to buy into that. And maybe that's why I didn't have much success at that company in the end, because I wasn't like willing to put in weekends and evenings for, for things like that. There was nothing to make up for the lower salary there for me. And I just didn't fit in, felt like I didn't fit in with the culture at all. And what year was this? So you said that it was 2014 when you were in the UK. What year were you in this particular company? Uh, so I moved to that company. Uh, I started in October 2018 and I finished there in October 2020. Oh, so you were there during the pandemic as well? Yes. Oh, so how did that pan out? So what were things like around the pandemic? So um, we went, basically, we were told not to come into the office about a week before we locked down formally in, I was living in Toronto at the time. So Toronto locked down a week after we stopped going into the office. Um, and then I think two weeks later, we got an email saying like, hey, if you want to volunteer to take take a pay cut and you can work four days a week instead of five days a week, and this will hopefully prevent layoffs. And then after all of those all of that was kind of signed up for. Then they laid a bunch of people off, even though a lot of people had signed up to take four day weeks, myself included. So I was on like a pay cut and they laid off a bunch of people. Um, nobody got a raise that year, of course. Nobody got any bonuses that year. They said no promotions that year. And uh, I had to fight really hard to make sure I only worked those four days that I had taken a pay cut for. I had to tell a lot of people to just leave me alone. That's never a nice thing, you know, especially during like 
you know, making you take a pay cut and then already there's that notion that you're not even paid what you should be as well. That's very, very cheeky. So like, what were what were the dynamics like as all this was unfolding um, in the background? How were the dynamics in terms of finance-wise uh, um, with Yabaha? Because I know you said like you, you moved with them, him as, as well. How was that like? Was there any... Did you ever have any financial pressure? Were you the high earner was, or was, was he? How was that? Yeah, so I've always been the higher earner in our relationship. Um, so when we were living in London, that meant I took like a larger portion of our rent. Um, we always split bills 50-50, but we never split our rent 50-50 because I was earning more than him. When we moved to Toronto, um, again, I was a higher earner, but he, uh, his salary was a little bit closer to mine. So our we kind of... Um, we like made that split a little bit smaller than it than it had been before. Um, in terms of what happened during the pandemic, unfortunately, because my partner's visa had expired, he had to stop working in uh, during the pandemic. Um, but thankfully, we were able to move back in with my family um, at that point, um, just to just because I couldn't I couldn't afford the rent by myself on one salary. There was no way I would have been able to. And I moved to, I moved to Toronto at the worst possible time. There was a huge housing shortage at the time that I moved in. So my rent was two thousand five hundred Canadian dollars a month. So that's one thousand four hundred and forty four thousand pounds, um, according to like the so same as London, the same as like a one bedroom in London. Um, and then um, I think rents were going down in Toronto at the time, but because we knew we were leaving, we didn't bother negotiating a lower rent. And was that for one bed apartment, you said, the one, the 2000? Yeah, so it was a, it was a one bed plus den. So you get like a little bit of extra space, but our den wasn't a full enclosed space or anything like that. It was just a it was just an extra space. We could fit a futon in there, basically. How was your mental health during this period? Because sometimes I read different forums and they say, if you're not enjoying your work environment, quit your job, you know, because that's a detriment to your mental health. What, like, did you ever have feelings you just wanted to quit? Or like, what was, what was going through your mind when this was all unfolding? Oh yeah, it was uh, like probably one of the worst times of my life, um, for sure. I wanted to quit so much. Um, I would call my parents crying because I was so upset. Um, I would like have like mental like breakdowns on the weekend because I felt like I couldn't properly relax. Like it just was not good. But then I didn't have the opportunity to just just quit. I didn't have. I wouldn't be able to have any money coming, and I was the main income earner in my in my household even though we were sharing things like we needed both our income to survive so I couldn't just quit you know I had to have something else lined up but I was even it hit a point where I was I was applying for like I, I had five I had five years experience at this time and I was applying for like grocery store retail jobs because I just was so desperate to get out of that job um, unfortunately I haven't worked in in retail for 10 years now. So of course, nobody looked at my CV because I was way overqualified for the positions and have no retail experience anymore. So I know the, the times whereby, um, especially when you have, I don't know, especially when you people are relying on you, it's very hard to just kind of up and go, especially when you have responsibilities. And uh, it's, not, it's not an easy feeling. But in getting yourself out of that situation, what was the, because I know you said you moved back to London uh, in November. So how did you, based on all the experiences you accumulated, 
what did you do in securing your next role? Yeah, so thankfully, because I had spent quite a bit of time in London before I already had a, a work ne network built over here, um, which I think was something that I didn't have in, in Toronto. And that was probably part of the problem that I that I had in the end is I didn't have anyone to speak to about salaries. So my network over here, nobody was quite as open as that one person I worked with at my previous company who flat out told me what their salary was. But I was able to find people who were willing to give me approximate ranges of what I should be expecting for that, um, for my experience level. Um, so I, I knew a lot more going into the roles that I was looking for here, exactly what I wanted salary wise. Um, and then, of course, when when I was eventually offered a job, I made sure to negotiate. I think I was told I, somewhere on the Internet, somebody has said, like, always negotiate, even if they end up saying no, because it, you're losing out on money opportunities if you don't negotiate. And it can be nerve wracking. But, yeah, it was definitely worth it. In my, my case, I ended up negotiating an extra £2,000 on my salary. So that was quite good. During the negotiation process, did you do anything else to help you with new, apart from just reaching out to your network? Yeah. So I think a big thing for negotiating for me was I knew what I wanted salary-wise before I even went into searching for roles. And I was willing to make you know, slight adjustments based on like benefits and things like that. So the salary I'm on now is, um, well, actually I can, I can tell you I'm on 52,000 pounds now. Nice. I, I wanted 55, but the company I work for now had stock options and it had health insurance. So both of those things I was willing to, you know, say, okay, well, these are basically cash benefits. So it's okay if, if I don't have that equal amount of cash, they offered me 50 when when I got the job offer and then I negotiated up to 52. I basically just sent them an email and asked for the amount that I wanted and then they counter offered and then I accepted that counter offer. Um, but in that email, um, I think they wanted to have a telephone conversation, but I was still in Canada at the time. So I got quite lucky and I got to have it over email. And I am I feel like I'm much, I'm much <laughs> stronger over text than I am on the phone. Mm. Um, so if, if you know that about yourself, that would be a good piece of advice is like try and get it over text if you can. It's a little bit easier to big up yourself. Um, and I just basically used ever all my experience, the fact that I've worked worked in this field for six years now and that all the experience that I have gained giving like exact examples that lined up to what the job description had been and what I learned from the job interviews to say, I meet these, you know, X, Y, Z points about this job description. So I think if you give me a higher salary, like I'm going to meet and exceed your expectations anyway. So you should be, you know, this is what I think I'm value. I am value wise. I guess another thing, because I know like there are, the big thing that's booming now is different types of like courses or anything. Like, have you taken any courses? Because that's quite, that's quite a big jump. Did you like, I don't know, did you, have you attended any courses that helped you with the, in the confidence of drafting that email? Because I think drafting an articulate email is one task in itself. Yeah, yeah. So I did find a course, I think it's on, I think it's on a website called Future Learn, which I think is available here in the UK. And I took a course on how to negotiate salary for women. And most of the course, most of the course itself wasn't, wasn't, you know, specific to my field. It was just general, like, how to big up yourself and boost your confidence with that negotiating tactics and going into job hunting with the exact skill set you have in mind and, and that confidence kind of level to to say this is what I want and this is what I want to go forward with. The thing is, like, I didn't really realize most companies have room for you to negotiate. Um, 
Like they'll they'll have a they'll have a salary in mind that they want to pay someone, but then also like it's it's in their best interest to get you lower than than that exact budget that they have, right? So, um, but there's always there's always room to. So you should be you should be you know comfortable just just asking for it um, because they they probably have the budget for it. And if they don't have the budget for it, then I mean that's a good thing that they're offering you their max budget, I guess. Um, but then you need to decide if that's how much you're willing to settle for. So you need to have a you need to have an amount in mind as well that you're willing to like to take and if and you have to be willing to walk away if if they don't meet that number and, and if you don't mind me asking like why were those benefits quite important because i think something i'm i'm learning in later life i value things like health insurance or life insurance all that type of stuff over remuneration right now in my life like out of curiosity why did you find those things more important during your negotiation process yeah, so I mean the health insurance thing, I know lots of stuff is covered by the NHS and that's great here, but medication and dental can really add up and eye glasses can really add up. I wear glasses. So um like I like to have multiple pairs of glasses. So if I can have a company that pays for some of those, then that's great. Um dental work, like I've had a root canal before, that's 250 pounds even under the NHS. If I could have someone cover that for me, then that's that's money that's in my pocket instead. Because it's stuff that it's stuff that is you are going to have to pay for if it does happen. I'd rather have all my teeth, right? <laughs> and the stock options were just a, a nice to have. Um I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but I have been I mean, there has been like more talk about stocks and things like that. And I'm not super confident in getting into the stock market, but at least for this company, I don't have to worry about, I won't lose any money having, um, I won't lose any cash having invested in this own company. But if it does go well, then that's money that I get, right? Mm, no, that's true, it's true. And like based, on, like based on where you are now and like being on 52, are you comfortable with the salary you have now or like, or when you look at I don't know, industry standards for your experience, is that a good amount to be paid? Or, or do you think there's room for, for more? Um, so where I am now with my experience, I think I'm on a fair salary for sure. Um, I do know people who have more experience than me that make more money and you make more money in management, of course. So those are things that I do keep in mind. Um, my partner and I are hopefully going to be able to buy a home in the next year because we've saved a deposit um, although, <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, the thing I have noticed though, is I would love, you know, there's a certain type of home that I would love to buy, but with the, with the limitations with mortgages and things like that, we just can't get it on our salaries. So that'll be, that's something to maybe push towards getting a higher salary is, you know, with, I think mortgages, you can get like 4.5 multiple. Yeah. So if I wanted to buy, you know, lots of homes in London that, our, our million pound homes. I, I could never get one of those unless I had a massive deposit on our salaries. Um, so there's always that in mind. Like if I want a really, really big home or something like that in London, I do have to earn more. But in terms of like comfort, like we're, we have no financial worries now, which wasn't the case when, before we moved to Canada, um, we definitely felt like we were maybe not scraping by, but definitely couldn't take advantage of living in London at that time. So, so I guess like from your perspective, like what would be your final tips for someone who's listening and they feel they're underpaid? How would they go about one rectifying that and then how do I, how they go about 
ensuring they have a more successful negotiation process if they're negotiating their current employer or future employers? Yeah, um, so definitely do your research. Um, Companies aren't going to just give you more money because you want more money. You need to give them exact reasons why. And those reasons can't just be, I need more money to pay my rent. I need more money to buy food. They unfortunately need to be reasons that that the company itself values. Always, always negotiate. Um, never, never skip that step when you are job hunting. Um, you might, you might get, you might get a no, but a, a no isn't that bad. Um, especially if you still, if you still end up with the job that you like, or if it gives you the opportunity to get a yes. Um, I would say the the risks are are worth are worth it for sure. Um, and if you have, if you can, speak to people and be open about. If somebody asks you what your salary is, tell them. And, you know, and hopefully more people will be open to sharing their salaries because um, I think it's it's really important for everybody. If you all know each other's salaries, then then we can all get better salaries because we know what our value is. But if people aren't willing to share that information, then there's no there's no way of knowing unless you happen to work for like a really transparent company. But there's there's not as many as you would hope out there. No, awesome. Um, no, Jane, thank you so much. This is such a sensitive uh topic salaries you know and you've just been so transparent with us through the process um at the end of the day what goes on in one country is not too dissimilar to what goes on in uk companies so we really do hope everyone's uh taking away something really really valuable so yeah thank you very much yeah thanks so much for having me oh that was a very enlightening episode um it's interesting because i feel like salary is such a sensitive topic i think people get really clammy and are really funny when it comes to talking about salary so it was quite refreshing just to hear like all those numbers and figures you know this section of the podcast is when we're going to ask you know the interesting questions so i've got a question for you guys right so have you ever been in a position where you realized you weren't being paid your worth what was it and what did you do Nick. Lol. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, because I feel like I have the uh, corporate experience. I need to be careful what I say because it's on my LinkedIn who I've worked for previously. But um, I think my first employer working in Big Four, I think it was very abundantly clear that you are underpaid. You know, I think it was an industry standard that you're trading off the brand name but when you do decide decide to leave the the institution you get paid a lot more so that was accepted yeah because they would they would work you to the ground that that company took the absolute mick i remember there was a time nick was at my house um in bristol and it was a weekend and they called him on the weekend like, we were sleeping, it was like 9 o'clock in the morning, he got a phone call from his manager, and it was a last week, and I could hear his manager shouting, saying, why are you not doing work? And I'm thinking, did I just wait, is it the wrong, is it, like, is it me, or is it, is it a Saturday morning? Like, what, how can you be upset because he's not doing work on a Saturday morning? What type of ridiculousness is that? So they, and, and for the amount that they were paying at the time, that was, that, that should be illegal, really. Yeah, but, you know what, I think it's such a, company culture is so difficult because it's like if you as a person are trying to set boundaries and you know I don't want to work weekend 
and both two individuals are working on the same project and then you've got some happy-go-lucky person who doesn't have a social life outside of work and is happy to forego all their weekends. I don't know, when in management, when I'm looking at those two individuals, I'm probably going to be thinking the person who wants to work on the weekend probably wants it a bit more. And so I think that's the, the tough situation in, in this whole pay stuff that, okay, when it comes to doing a pay review, I'm probably going to end up paying this person more because they want to work on the weekends or they're, they're going to be there when I need them to work. I realized that in order for me to kind of accelerate my life goals, get married, buy a house, house it wasn't going to be viable on that salary. I think that salary at the time was 34 grand. What about what about you guys? So my very very first job when I qualified, <laughs> they were that was a piss take. But when I um like my hourly wage as a newly qualified was I think it was like fifteen pounds fifty an hour. Mm-mm. But the thing is, overall it worked out as because I worked so many hours and there were really really long days. It still worked out as me earning like forty k a year, even though the hourly wage was so unbelievably low. Wait, so then how many hours were you doing then? I was doing like 50 hours. Oh, okay. Similar to what I do right now. <laughs> yeah, so I was doing really, really long, long, sometimes even more. I was doing really long days and like I was nearly qualified. I didn't have any responsibilities. So I just used to work, like just just continuously work. And even I would, sometimes I'll go to work and I would um have, uh, what do you call it? Like locum dispensers. So you're the pharmacist and there's other people that are underneath you. And the locum dispensers... They will earn more than what I was earning as a newly qualified pharmacist. And they will tell me like, why are you working for this company? Why don't you just leave? You can earn so much more money if you work elsewhere. And it was true, but I don't know, there was just a part of me that was just, I don't I liked the, I liked the idea of just being in, in places that I recognised and was familiar with. But of course I didn't stay there very long. Mm. I then moved to another company and I was able to negotiate a bit a better hourly wage it was less overall because I worked less hours I worked like your usual 37 and a half but it was a better hourly wage there was a better quality of life I remember there was the first time I came home at like five o'clock and I was like oh my gosh what do I do with myself now because I've never been home this early before so so yeah my very very first job I was significantly underpaid Mm, but I feel like my entire career, I'm joking. <laughs> I think when I <laughs> when I first qualified, I think, um, do you know what? It's a tough one, right? Because with like pharmacy, when you're doing like your training, what happens is that when you qualify, you, I mean, during your training, you're on like eight and a half grand and then maybe that's like 21 grand if you work in hospital. But then the issue is when you qualify in hospital, I think it goes up to like 26, 27, which is not, that much money so but then I was working in community pharmacy and when you work in community pharmacy when you qualify you can get like, I don't know like you know 30 35 grand so I thought I was really happy when I first qualified because you know that was like the most money that I had ever earned but then after a while it, it was just like actually when you start talking to other people and then you learn like for example because that 35 grand worked out to be yeah 15 pounds 17 an hour right so you're, you're talking to other pharmacists and like you're learning, you're like you're learning how much they, you know, get paid. And I remember I used to have this manager and I just felt like they were using me. That's that's literally how I felt. I remember one time I wanted to transfer to like, um, by the way, I no longer work for that company, but I wanted to transfer to another store. And the, at first they said yes, 
Then they then they came back and said no, you know, and I, and then I was just like, no, 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 because I'm not a mug. Like that's actually it's not fair. And if I if I stayed on that salary, it just kind of meant that I wouldn't have been able to like you know, been able to like buy my flat and like move out of my parents' house. So I kind of just reached a breaking point where I was like, okay, no, I think I am being underpaid. I'm not being valued as a worker. And now I can't even I can't even afford like you know to achieve my dreams. So I was like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce. And um, yeah, I applied for um, a new job, great job. And then even at that, um, I still I think I had to do a little bit of negotiation because there was a certain amount of salary that I needed to be able to afford the flat that I wanted on my own. So I had to do a bit of like haggling. But but yeah, it worked out in the end. Do I feel like I'm being paid my worth now? <sighs> I'm happy with what I'm being paid now, to be quite truthful with you. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, yeah, I love where I work. I love the colleagues that I work with. I love the, the work-life balance. Um, I balance. Um, I could not complain. I hope uh, it's been quite an enlightening episode. I know, again, like I said before, it's very industry-specific. So I kind of want to take a step back and kind of hope the tips I share now are applicable to anyone in any industry. I think the first pivotal thing is LinkedIn. The current role I'm in, I can, I kid you not, I, I work in financial wellbeing strategy now, is because of LinkedIn. So I really want to, I really want to get everyone to ask yourself: If you go onto your LinkedIn page, is the only time you've ever posted, is it just based on resharing someone's previous post? I want to challenge people to get into the habit of sharing on LinkedIn, whether it's what's going on in your work life what that's going on in the industry and get into the habit of posting and connecting with competitors or other people that work in your industry to build up your presence and gravitas industry because it goes a long way when recruiters um, look through that. Second point is speaking to people, you know, and I know when I say speaking to people, people can be quite coy about their salaries. But go on to some of these forums, whether it's uh, Payscale, uh, whether it's Glassdoor, have those uncomfortable conversations and sometimes ask people quite bluntly, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm about to have a conversation. I'm quite keen, like, um, if you don't mind. And it's really the impetus of a person, whether or not they want to share their salary or not. Um, third point, you know, speak to a recruiter. When I was working for an investment bank, what made a massive difference in how I negotiated was a recruiter, I think it was a Robert Halfway recruiter, they told me the exact salary banding for uh, my role. So even when I was telling them, oh, I want I want to go up to 55k and I'm in an area, I was like, why are you in an area? There's still much more ceiling room. So I think based on my experience, I think that's fair value. Third point, evaluate your life goals um, against your salary slash benefits because you may realize that actually I only need a certain amount of salary to hit my life goals but stuff like if I want to start a family what's the maternity pay like what's the paternity pay like what's the do they have private health insurance you know because the reality is once you I'm going to be 30 we're going to be some of us are going to be 30 this year it makes a big difference so I just, there's a few tips you can kind of take away with them in, to help with their negotiating process. But as always, if you have a story to share, do slide into our DMs. 
But yeah, we hope you've gained a lot of value from listening to this episode. Thank you very much, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. You've just listened to an episode of Your Real Money Stories, an original podcast brought to you in association with Zopa. Who provide great value financial products and tools to make managing your money a lot easier. So make sure you subscribe and share with your friends who you think might have related to this episode. For more information and resources around the themes discussed in this episode, head over to zopa.com forward slash podcast. And of course, if you want to be on the next episode, make sure you slide into our DMs on Instagram at moneymedics. 